well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I'm so glad you're with me on the program today. Thank you so much for being a part of the program. Um, we got a lot of stuff going on here. We are watching what's going on out in California, where we do expect any day now to have uh, additional decisions coming out to uh, several challenges to California gun control laws, including uh, the uh, ban on quote-unquote large-capacity magazines. Uh, that is Miller versus Bonta. Then there's Rody versus Bonta. That is dealing with uh, this bizarre law in California. I'm not aware of any other state in the country that has a provision like this on the books. So if you're a California resident, you are not allowed to go out of state and purchase ammunition and then bring it back to California. Yeah. Every California gun owner is supposed to go through a background check when they purchase ammunition. And so therefore, you since you know no other state really does background checks for ammunition sales, you can't buy ammo out of state. You can't have ammo shipped to your home from out of state, which is why Kim Rohde, uh, Olympic champion, has filed suit because uh, this inhibits her ability to compete and to train. But you can imagine the impact that this has on you know, average everyday gun owners who aren't competitive shooters. Uh, if they could be arrested or face criminal charges for buying a box of ammo uh, in Arizona or Nevada and then bringing it back to California. It's so bizarre, as a matter of fact, that in Needles, California, which is right on the border between California and Arizona, residents there have to drive, I think it's something like 140 miles round trip in order to lawfully purchase ammunition because they can't drive right across the border into Arizona and visit one of the three or four gun shops in uh, Lake Havasu City, uh, that area of the state. It would be a crime for them to do so. So that law is being challenged as well. And we do anticipate a, a decision imminently from a U.S. District Court Judge Roger Benitez, St. Benitez, to uh, California gun owners. Also watching uh, what's going on in Washington state, where there is a Senate hearing on uh, the House-approved ban on so-called assault weapons. Watch what's going on in Washington, D.C. as well, where there's a, a hearing taking place in the House of Representatives regarding the uh, ATF's overreach and abuse of its administrative authority uh, in passing rules like uh, the new procedures uh, regarding unfinished frames and receivers, uh, pistol stabilizing braces, uh, and then, of course, the uh, bump stock ban that uh, has now been put on hold by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, at least in the uh, Fifth Circuit's uh, area where right, those three states that uh, where the Fifth Circuit uh, mandates apply. Uh, so we are, again, watching a lot of things going on around the country. But uh, before we get to today's topic, I do want to talk a little bit about my friends at Pickett's Mill Armory. You know, in today's turbulent times, you need to gather tools that allow you to defend your family in the way of life that you know and love. And my friends over at Pickett's Mill Armory are the folks that can help you with that. Pickett's Mill Armory is a veteran-owned and operated rifle company in Georgia. And they're committed to providing you rifles with premium quality without the premium price tag. Their mission is to build you a rifle that gives every advantage possible with 100% American-made components. So whether you need a tactical rifle or a hunting rifle, they have your back. And you don't have to settle for just as good anymore because they've solved that problem for you. You no longer have to buy a rifle and then buy parts to swap out. When you purchase your rifles from PMArmory.com, they come out of the box with high-quality barrels, superior triggers, and other options that you can choose. So when you think of Pickett's Mill Armory, think of small batch coffee. Uh, they're not going to compromise their standards to turn out thousands of rifles every month like a lot of other companies do. Head over to PMArmory.com. To find the tools you need to defend your family right now, that's pmarmory.com. 
Today on the show, we're going to be talking about a situation in uh, Colorado that unfolded yesterday morning. A 17-year-old student at a Denver high school who was being patted down as part of the conditions for him going to school, two staff members discovered a gun. That student pulled the gun, shot the two staff members, and then took off. For hours, the Denver authorities wouldn't release this 17-year-old's name because he was a juvenile, even though he was considered armed or dangerous. Uh, they provided just you know very vague details of who this individual was. Now, on Wednesday afternoon, the uh, 17-year-old's car was found in Park County, Colorado. A short time later, the 17-year-old's body was found, apparently um, dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. We're learning more about this 17-year-old. And as it turns out, two years ago, more than two years ago, when he was just 15, the same student had been arrested and charged with illegal possession of a firearm, one of those quote-unquote ghost guns, as well as a large-capacity magazine banned under Colorado state law. And yet, despite that arrest and those charges two years ago, 17-year-old Austin Lyle was out on probation when he allegedly shot Eric Sinclair, the Dean of Culture, and Gerald Mason, the coordinator in restorative practice at East High School in Denver, Colorado. According to CBS Colorado, law enforcement sources say that the 17-year-old had been arrested back in 2021 for possession of a, quote, ghost gun in a high-capacity magazine. His arrest came when he was a student at Overland High School, and some fellow students reported photos on social media showing Lyle with a gun. A search of the teenager's home then uncovered the ghost gun and magazine. He was later expelled from the school and began attending East High School. As part of a school safety plan, based on his prior behavior, Lyle was required to be patted down for weapons every day when he showed up at East High, according to uh, Denver Police Chief Ron Thomas. It was during that search that he opened fire. Uh, by the way, Denver Police, not stationed at East High School, at least not until now, uh, that move was announced to uh, bring two uh, school resource officers to the campus uh, after the shooting took place. But at a press conference on Wednesday morning, the police had said, look, even if we had officers there, we would not have been the ones to do a pat down. We don't want to have that type of relationship with the uh, student body here. There's a lot to unpack with this uh, terrible situation, starting with the fact that Colorado, back in 2013, banned, quote unquote, large capacity magazines. Any magazine with a capacity uh, greater than, I believe it's 15 rounds. Uh, is considered large capacity in Colorado. That's the arbitrary definition that Colorado came up with. So you have a 15-year-old who's caught in illegal possession of a handgun and a magazine that is illegal to possess under Colorado law. And what happens to this 15-year-old? In essence, nothing. He was expelled from his high school, but he was allowed to attend another. He was given probation rather than any type of serious consequence that might have required him to, uh, you know, spend some time in juvenile detention with the hopes of uh, rehabilitating him. No, I I instead, again, he was basically cut loose. Uh, and the school district was told, all right, listen, just to make sure that the students are safe, pat this kid down before you let him in the school building. Do you, how many other students, by the way, at East High 
In fact, let, let's just let's broaden this out. How many students in the state of Colorado are going to class right now under an agreement that requires them to be patted down for weapons before they go into the school building itself every day? How common is this? How frequently is this occurring? Is this the exception? Or is this the rule when a teenager is caught in illegal possession of a firearm? And by the way, why are Democrats in Colorado, who hold a supermajority in the state legislature, trying to pass laws criminalizing the activity of legal, responsible gun owners while they're ignoring this very serious situation? You know, since 2013, Colorado has imposed universal background checks, ban on large capacity magazines, red flag laws. They have repealed the state's preemption law. This year, they're considering a ban on so-called assault weapons, uh, bills that would raise the age to purchase a firearm from 18 to 21. Uh, when again, it's pretty clear that 15-year-olds are illegally getting access to firearms if they want one. Uh, and a host of other restrictions aimed, again, at those who lawfully possess firearms, including, by the way, restrictions that would allow counties to ban backyard ranges, even in rural Colorado. Meanwhile, the conditions that allowed for this situation to take place go unaddressed by Colorado lawmakers, who seem far more interested in criminalizing the fundamental right to keep and bear arms than actually addressing the problem of juveniles and other prohibited persons not only acquiring firearms, but using them to commit violent acts and the lack of consequences when those individuals are caught the first, second, third, fourth, even fifth time illegally possessing a firearm. All right, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will uh, start there. I realized today's entire topic could be a recidivist report. But again, these stories are not all that uncommon. So we've got another one for you. This one out of uh, Dallas, Texas, where the uh, Dallas police say a man on probation shot at officers in old East Dallas before an officer returned fire. And uh, yes, again, this was another individual who, according to uh, Chief Eddie Garcia, already known to law enforcement, uh, 35-year-old Hernan Gutierrez. Uh, is the uh, individual in question. Gutierrez reportedly pleaded for forgiveness after uh, firing at the uh, officers, uh, and when uh, he was apprehended, uh, he is currently in critical condition. Uh, no officers, thankfully, were injured in this shooting. Um, but according to police, Gutierrez was out on federal probation for being a felon in possession of a firearm, as well as for possession of a controlled substance. Uh, Gutierrez was supposed to be on an ankle monitor, but he apparently cut that ankle monitor off back in August before a court appearance for a plea deal in another case. Gutierrez also has an active warrant out for a weapons charge, and he has a criminal background that included drug charges as well as two kidnapping convictions. Yeah, so again, quite the lengthy criminal history. And yet, even though he was on federal uh, you know, he had been a, a, a convicted in federal court or taken a plea deal, I guess, in federal court for being a felon in possession of a firearm. Not much time behind bars. 
Instead, they slap an ankle monitor on him and say, all right, problem solved here. Uh, Chief Garcia cited this as an example of the ineffectiveness of ankle monitors. Um, this has been a big topic, actually, in Texas. You know, there was a shooting at the Methodist Dallas Medical Center last fall committed by a parolee who had also previously cut off his ankle monitor. Uh, there was a House Committee on Corrections hearing this week, and uh, Chief Garcia um, voiced support for legislation that would make it a crime to remove or disable an ankle monitor. I, I'm, I'm amazed that that's not already a crime. Given that it is one of the terms of probations that you're required to wear it, you would think that it would be more than just a simple probation violation if you remove that ankle monitor. But apparently in Texas, that is not the case. Uh, Garcia says he's trying to work with federal authorities to learn more about the terms of Gutierrez electronic monitor and to, quote, figure out exactly where the problem was. But he noted, he says, these ankle monitors don't work for these individuals. He said, not only did my officers almost lose their lives, but God knows how many other lives he's affected in the time that he's been out. Uh, now he's facing a charge of aggravated uh, assault of a public servant. Uh, more charges are possible. Uh, Chief Garcia said that Gutierrez had a key for a stolen vehicle um, that was in the parking lot when he was discovered. Police also seized his backpack, which had money and large amounts of cocaine and uh, other drugs. And again, all of this allowed to happen, um, I, I guess, based on what we know right now, because a U.S. attorney. Uh, agreed to a deal that allowed Mr. Gutierrez to avoid serious consequences for the serious crime of being a private person in possession of a firearm. So tell me again, how is the answer more laws aimed at law-abiding people? It wasn't a concealed carry holder who shot at those officers. It wasn't somebody even who was entitled to lawfully bear arms under Texas's constitutional carry law. It was a career criminal who repeatedly escaped consequences for his actions who uh, allegedly shot at officers uh, and was shot in return. And the sad thing is, were it not for the fact that this now was an officer-involved shooting, that this did make headlines, Mr. Gutierrez, if he had been caught you know, in possession of a, a key to a car that didn't belong to him, with all of these drugs, after cutting off his ankle monitor, if there had not been a uh, shooting aspect to this, Gutierrez probably could be looking at another sweetheart plea deal. I doubt that is going to happen now that, the, you know, he fired at police officers. But that might be the only thing that uh, keeps Mr. Gutierrez behind bars this time around. All right. Finally today. Actually, no, not finally today. I'm sorry. I haven't even gotten to our armed citizen story yet. My goodness gracious. All right. Well, let's do that. This is a headline. I got to tell you, I, I am so pleased to see this. Baltimore police rule February shooting as justified in self-defense. You know, Baltimore and, and the rest of Maryland, frankly, um, for decades, it's been almost impossible for the average individual to obtain a concealed carry license. Baltimore or Maryland was one of those uh, May issue states where you had to prove to the issuing authorities that you had a justifiable need to carry a firearm and exercise your right to bear arms. That changed uh, with the Bruin decision. And uh, then Governor Larry Hogan instructed the Maryland State Police to quit asking. Uh, what's your what's your what's your reason for uh, carrying? And in the months between the Bruin decision coming down in late June and the end of 2022, the Maryland State Police received about 87,000 applications for concealed carry licenses. In all of 2021, I think they received about 12,000 licenses. 
Uh, and again, that doesn't mean the 12,000 people were approved. That means that's how many licenses they received or uh, license applications they received. The vast majority of the uh, 87,000 or so license applications that were received in the last six months of 2022 have been approved. Uh, and the number of concealed carry holders in Maryland is exponentially larger than what it was last year. Now, I will say that could change because Maryland Democrats are trying to pass a Bruin response bill to make it very difficult and legally dangerous to exercise your right to bear arms. But for right now, that's the status quo. And in Baltimore, we now have a armed citizen, a legally armed citizen, uh, who acted in self-defense during a robbery. This was back on February the 7th. According to police, 42-year-old Joseph Garrison tried to rob a 24-year-old man who used his uh, licensed handgun to shoot and kill Garrison in self-defense. The uh, 24-year-old remained at the scene uh, and was taken into custody by police initially. Uh, Garrison, meanwhile, taken to Johns Hopkins Baby Medical Center, he was declared dead. Uh, but again, uh, Baltimore police detectives have now formally uh, said that this was a justified homicide. The 24-year-old was acting in self-defense. Something, again, that would not have been possible a year ago for this 24-year-old to uh, obtain a concealed carry license. Unless there was a security guard, unless he was handling large amounts of cash in the course of his business, unless he could demonstrate an active, ongoing, specific threat against his life, this 24-year-old was not going to get a carry license. But thanks to the Bruin decision, that changed. And that may very well have saved his life back on February the 7th. Hopefully, we'll be seeing more armed citizen stories like this. Uh, by the way, interesting to uh, to note, I, I uh, wrote about this at Tiberian Arms today. Um, despite the predictions of anarchy and chaos and Wild West shootouts uh, between concealed carry holders, if, if Maryland went shall issue in Baltimore this year, Homicides and shootings are actually down substantially by more than 20%. That's that's amazing. That's a great thing. I hope that continues. And I, I'm not saying it's entirely because Maryland is now shall issue. But what I am saying is Maryland becoming shall issue, according to the gun control activists, it should be impossible for Baltimore's crime rates to be declining. Um, instead, they're dropping substantially as more people are able to protect themselves. And yeah, I do think that there is a connection between those two circumstances. Uh, finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, bouncers at a Florida strip club who authorities say saved dozens of lives after a uh, man in a devil mask armed with a gun tried to uh, enter that strip club. This is uh, a screenshot from the uh, surveillance camera outside of the club, and you can see that suspect on the right, or excuse me, on the left, um, in that red shirt, uh, Michael Rudman was arrested Sunday morning outside of the business, according to uh, Tampa police. Police say that uh, Rudman was wearing a, a red and black devil mask, had the words kill and dark one uh, written on his arms, walked towards the entrance of this uh, strip club with a flashlight in one hand and a gun in the other. Flashlight is on as he um, uh, opens the door to the uh, Mons Venus Club. And uh, that's when one of the bouncers spotted the firearm, knocked it out of Rudman's hand, uh, and then started scuffling with Rudman. Other people from the club uh, exited the building. They tried to help subdue him. Uh, during the incident, police said a single round from the gun struck the front door of the venue, but nobody was injured. 
Uh, one of the three security guards involved in detaining Rudman suffered minor injuries um, during the altercation. After officers uh, arrived and they took Rudman into custody, they found that they, um, or they said they uh, found um, two additional magazines, uh, ammunition, knives, and uh, holsters, uh, but no additional firearms in the truck. Right now, Rudman facing aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, battery, aggravated battery with a deadly weapon, and purchasing, possessing, or receiving a firearm while under a risk protection order charges. Uh, detectives say they have not determined a, a motive for uh, Rudman's acts, but they say that he had visited the establishment uh, the night before uh, his arrest. Tampa Police Department uh, Interim Chief Lee Burkar said there's no question that the security guards who disarmed this suspect saved dozens of lives to their heroic acts. And I'm thankful that our officers were able to take this individual into custody before he had the chance to carry out whatever he had planned. Absolutely. In the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. The uh, bouncers there at the uh, Mons Venus in Tampa, Florida, we thank you for your very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. And I'm looking forward to being back with you behind the microphone on Monday of next week. But I will be uh, busy clicking away at my keyboard between now and then, so be sure to visit BarryandArms.com. I'll be writing uh, plenty of stories between uh, now and Monday, along with uh, my colleagues John Petrolino, Tom Knighton, uh, Ryan Petty. We're going to cover all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. And if you like what you see, I'd encourage you to become a VIP member as well. All you have to do, go to BarryandArms.com slash subscribe, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As I was saying, thanks for showing our support. We're going to give you exclusive content. News stories, analysis, opinions you won't get anywhere else because your support does matter. And it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Looking forward to being back with you again soon. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.